How you doing? This is Sam Tolley, and we're going to talk about Johnson & Johnson today. That is Michael Johnson, the new speaker, and Chicago's Mayor Brandon Johnson on the next Trusting the Truth. 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 Welcome to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. Well, like I said, we're going to talk about Johnson and Johnson, two Johnsons, one a Democrat, one a Republican, one a mayor, one a Speaker of the House. Two gentlemen with a lot of authority and a lot of power and a lot of things going on in this nation. So let's get to it. Let's start off talking about Mr. Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago. Now, Mr. Johnson has inherited the job from Lori Lightfoot. You know, she inherited the job from Ron Emanuel. And I don't know who was the uh, mayor before Emmanuel. But one thing is consistent with Chicago, death. Death by shooting, death, 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 constantly. I mean, it's like they can't run out of people to kill in Chicago. When I was a kid, we used to watch The Untouchables and other shows about gangsters. And in those days, it was about bootlegging and Al Capone and, you know, speakeasies and prostitutes and things like that. Now, Chicago um, is it, just a death trap. And we, we get these politicians that talk about defunding the police and all this kind of nonsense all over the country. But I'm not going to get into defunding the police when it talks about Chicago. What's interesting is the citizens, they got sick of Lori Lightfoot and what she was doing, or shall I say, what she was not doing. And so instead of picking someone that didn't have the same concern, uh, excuse me, democratic mindset, they just got a Lori Lightfoot that was a male instead of a female in Brandon Johnson. And as of Halloween, I understand there's like 516 deaths in Chicago. And the vast majority of them are black people. Now, the population dynamics of Chicago runs something like 35% white, 29% black, about another 29% Hispanic, and around 7% Asian. <clears throat> It's amazing to me that they can even have those many blacks left because over 50% of the homicides are black people. And Chicago prides itself in being a sanctuary city. You know, they let all these illegals come in. I remember I read in August where the city said it spent over $100 million trying to take care of illegals. And of course, they bring all the illegals to the poor neighborhoods. They don't bring these folks to the rich neighborhoods. So now all these black folks and Hispanics are up in arms 
because of the illegals that the city is taking care of when the city didn't have money to take care of other stuff. And the city is, you know, taking empty schools and different facilities in minority neighborhoods to try to take care of all these illegals. Well, Brandon Johnson thinks that black folks are getting the short end of the stick in Chicago. And he came up with one thing that supposedly is going to help black Americans in Chicago. That's going to be more equitable. And you know what it is? Fewer parking tickets for black people. Let's look at this. This is amazing. Chicago mayor Brandon Johnson calls on city to give black residents fewer parking tickets for racial equity. Now, isn't that nice? You know, the first problem that came to mind with me is I don't I didn't know how you could look at a car and determine the racial uh, identity of the owner. Unless, of course, they run the registration and a picture shows up and it shows, oh, this is a black guy. We can't give him a parking ticket. It says Chicago mayor and Democrat um, mayor, excuse me, the city of Chicago, Democrat mayor Brandon Johnson is calling on city authorities to give black residents fewer parking tickets in an effort to push racial equity. You know, I don't hear him talking about racial equity on all the black folks getting shot in Chicago. The city has established a racial equity office, which pushes the idea that urgency in white supremacy and has made it city police give fewer parking tickets to black residents. Now, isn't that nice? Chicago has a long history of racial disparities and social inequities, especially on the South and West sides. As a longtime resident of Chicago's West side, I see the devastating impact systemic inequality can have on a neighborhood and its residents, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson said. On the typo that I fixed that, that was theirs, not mine. In order to achieve racial equity, Johnson said, we must acknowledge the injustices of the past and consequently include those who are most impacted by inequality in our policy and decision-making not just when it is easy or convenient. This is amazing. They bring in thousands of folks that have no business being in the United States, let alone Chicago. They spend all this money on these folks and they're gonna pander to black folks, say, well, we're gonna give you less tickets because you're black. And at the same time, insult everybody else. The rest of you folks, you Hispanics and you white folks and you Asians, you need to pay up. But black folks, we need to give them a break while we're giving these illegals all the breaks in the world. Demonstrating proper accountability towards people and the outcome we are committing to is vital, the mayor added. I am confident that this is just the beginning and that the impact of this work will last for generations to come. I am proud of the work that is being done thus far to build systemic equity 
and secure racial justice for our residents. I don't know what any of that means. Systemic equity and racial justice. The only thing the city government, the state government, the federal government needs to do is do their job, govern equally, equally, screw that equal stuff, govern equally, uh, take care of uh, protection of the citizens, take care of the infrastructure, just do that and get the heck out the way. All this social engineering and all this nonsense is the reason why we have the problems we have. In the city's racial equity report, it states that a goal for the city's Department of Finance is to implement a plan that will result in fewer parking tickets issued to black, oh, U.S. managers, you, you get a break too, black and brown residents of the Windy City. So that says screw the 35% white and the 7% Asians. I guess Asians are not counted as a minority, even though they're only 7%. Hell, if anybody should be getting a break based on uh, ethnicity, as far as being a lower racial dynamic, it should be Asians. Continue to use data to deploy parking enforcement personnel to further reduce average fine amounts in black and brown neighborhoods uh, by 2.5% and implement improved boot zones. I don't know what a boot zone is. Oh, I guess that's when they put boots on the car so you can't go anywhere. And a prioritization of resources to reduce the percentages of vehicles immobilized in black and brown neighborhoods by 5%. <laughs> the city's goal is listed as complete. The report also noted that it reduced the share of tickets issued in majority black and brown communities from 15.3% in 2020 to 14.9% in 2021 and 13.9% in 2022. Why don't you just not give any of them a ticket if this is what's so important to you? This is amazing. This is, this is just totally over the top. Let's go on. The Office of Racial Equity. The Office of Racial Equity. This is a city. <laughs> this is, I'm going to tell you what the problem is. The problem is you people. Yeah, I'm talking about you people in Chicago. You white people in Chicago. You black people in Chicago. You Hispanic and you Asian people. All you people in Chicago. You keep voting for these same people with different names, sometimes different colors, but these same people that keep giving you nonsense and treating you like your children. It's not their job to, to make sure you don't have to pay too much for parking. What's going to happen if, if, if it gets way out of bound? Then you're going to start, well, we've got to take in more black and brown people and, and, and give the other folks a break. That's not their job. Their job is to govern fairly. Do what's right for everybody. I thought there was a time when all we wanted was for people to be treated equally, not equity. Equity is not equality. Equality is giving everybody an opportunity to advance at their own level and their own ability to achieve the best that the individual can. Because if you take away that 
equality and you say, I'm going to make it equitable across the board, then you're going to get people that aren't going to try anything because they don't need to because they're going to get everything that the person that's busting their butt is going to get. You know, equity always leads to the lowest common denominator. It never reaches high. It's, it's an insult to, to, to common decency. It's an insult to the achievability of the individual. It's just another trap to keep people stagnated. You talk about systemic racism, equity, the pursuit of it is systemically racist in more ways than one. Look at this. The city of Chicago, oh, let me read back. The Office of Racial Equity even has page, I didn't write this, on the city's website, who wrote this thing? Uh, Elena Mastrangelo, I guess whoever that person is didn't proofread this up. <clears throat> the Office of Racial Equity even has page on the city's website called the Equity Learning Kit, in which it lists reading material for employers, educators, parents, and young children. Maybe this person is an equity employee not proficient in English, uh, somebody that you needed to pass a certain racial dynamic and put it in there. When I say it, because I don't know Elena is a he or a she, and these days you can never tell. The city of Chicago also provides a link for employers regarding so-called white supremacy culture. It's amazing to me. All hell's breaking loose. We got crime running through the city of Chicago. You got 516 people shot and killed, predominantly shot. About 45 to 47 of them are under the age of 18, all the way down to one year or less. More than 50% of them are black. People are not, it's, it's not even just people getting shot at two o'clock in the morning. Some people get shot at seven o'clock in the morning. People just, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. It's not just folks that's out in the street and shouldn't belong there. And these people are so busy talking about white supremacy culture and trying to pander <coughs> to black people instead of helping them by giving them a safe environment to prosper. Examples of so-called white supremacy culture include perfectionism, a sense of urgency, def defensiveness, worship of the written word, objectivity, and individualism. Wow. I should have looked this part up. This, this is interesting to me. Example of so-called white supremacy. Defense. What is it? Worship of the written word. Perfectionism. So we should be um, slothful. We shouldn't strive to get things correct. We should, we, we should, we should be... Uh, 
what's the word my mother used to say? Trifling. Yeah, we should be trifling. You know, instead of instead of getting to work on time, get there when we want to. I guess getting to work on time is a white supremacy idea. Doing a good job is a white supremacy idea. We're supposed to just be slothful and just sort of get by. Forget about a sense of urgency. If it gets done, it gets done. If it don't get done, it don't get done. These are symbols of white supremacy culture? Defensiveness? You come after me, I'm going to defend myself. I mean, if I'm wrong, and I know that I'm wrong, I hear I was wrong. But if I'm right, why should I bow down to you? I don't care what color you are. And if I was a white person, I'd say the same thing. Now, this worship of the written word, what does that mean? Is that person taking a crack at this, the written word, the word of God from Genesis to Revelation? Well, and this is white supremacy? Culture? Therefore, this person is telling me that they're, if that's the case, this person is anti-Christ. This person is unbiblical. This person is an enemy of the Christian worldview. Well, I'm at odds with her or him or whatever it is off the top, period. If this is the kind of mindset that this person has, if this is what this Chicago um, white supremacy culture is, and I think I'll look this thing up for a future conversation. But even if it's the defense of the written word, if the, even if the written word was the the manual for driving in the state of Chicago, uh, Illinois or whatever, shouldn't we abide by it? If it's the penal code, aren't we supposed to abide by it? I mean, surely if we uh, were to break a law, what would they judge us by? A whim or, or the fact that we should not have to be perfect or we didn't have to try to, uh, you know, they're talking about you need to drive no slower than 55 in a 55 lane and I'm doing 20. That should be okay because that's the way I feel. I mean, this is nonsense. This, this, is, this, this, this is crazy. And this idea of, 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 of not giving brown and black people parking tickets is insane, too. But this is Chicago. This is the thinking of this leftist mentality. And unfortunately for you Democrats, yes, this is the Democrat mayor. This is the Democrat-run city. This city where folks get shot up every year. Constantly. And the predominance of them are black people. And of course, you know, I think what I heard, like the Miracle Mile out there, a lot of places are boarded up, just like it is in San Francisco. But these Democrats are running the cities and the states down to hell. So you Chicagoans, um, you black and brown ones, you can celebrate the fact that 
you may get less parking tickets. That's if you get a car. Now, that's not going to help you if you get shot. That's amazing, folks. Um, wow. The written word, huh? It says uh, worship of the written word. Now, we don't worship the written word. We worship the author of the written word when it comes to the Bible. And we obey the written word because that is what he gave us to do. That is our instruction. But we don't sit around and ignore the written word. Those of us that believe in the Bible. And unfortunately, we have people that believe in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party more than the Bible. But I dare say the Democratic Party more. So let's go to our next Johnson. The new Speaker of the House, Michael Johnson. And uh, I didn't put a picture out there. You can look on the <coughs> screenshot, uh, the thumbnail when I'm through, and see what he looks like. But I'm sure in your liberal spaces, they've given you plenty of looks at Mr. Johnson. Let's see what it says. Leftists try and fail to smear Speaker Johnson and Christian nationalists by Gillian Richards. Let's see if this person can write better or spell check what they wrote. The Post, leftists try and fail to smear Speaker Johnson as Christian nationalists appear first on the Daily Signal. Democrats are trying to make Halloween extra spooky this year by exhuming the boogeyman of Christian nationalism. <coughs> what is Christian nationalism? The news hook is the election of a conservative Christian as Speaker of the House. Representative Michael Johnson, a Louisiana Republican, won the election last week. Well, you know, we had... Kevin McCarthy, he was the speaker. You, you got this old boys and girls club in Congress. Who's ever been there the longest? Who's ever been there the longest is a person that's supposed to get the job. So if you've been there the longest as a Democrat, you're supposed to get the job as a speaker if your party wins. You've been there the longest as a Republican, you're supposed to get the job. That's why Nancy Pelosi was up there forever um, when Democrats won, because she's been there the longest, or just about the longest. At any rate, instead of having the most qualified, instead of having the person that the most in line with the American people, uh, that, that's usually been the case. So it was Kevin McCarthy's turn, and he ran... Um, I think he had to get like 15 votes before they put him in. And the only reason why he got the job is because he had to agree to a proviso, one of which stated that one member of the House, or I guess it's in that case a Republican caucus, can make the request for a vote to uh, challenge the Speaker to make him have to submit himself to a re-election or get out. Because they didn't trust him. 
They looked at him as being a rhino. And a rhino is a Republican in name only. And, and for too many years, we've had speakers that are Republicans that sit over there and claim that they're conservative, claim that they're going to stand up for, for conservative principles and sit over there and not. Case in point, Bonner or Boyner or whatever the heck his name was. Boyner was the speaker. And this gentleman would not fight for anything. Well, I take that back. He did stand up for one thing. He fought that minority children in the District of Columbia uh, would be able to, to continue to get vouchers to go to private schools because the Democrats, when the Democrats come in party, they always want to get the minority kids out of any kind of private school, out of any kind of uh, charter school. They want them stuck in the public schools, you know, because in the public schools, they have total control. They have the control of the education, they have control of the curriculum, and they don't give a rat's butt if you pass or fail. But there were like a large percentage of kids in Washington, D.C., minority children that were excelling in a private school or a charter school that the, the teachers union had no control over. And while Democrats love to sit up, well, they used to love to say how much they love black people, how much they want to take care of. One of the things they wanted to do was to get that those kids out of this environment and put them back in these failing public schools, where, by the way, they do not put their own children. They put their children in private schools at your dollar and my dollar. And it makes no sense to me that particularly blacks and Hispanics or any minorities, anybody without the means, whether you're black, white, or Hispanic, without the means to pay for a private school, couldn't get the opportunity to put your own kid in a private school. You're paying for it with your tax dollars. So it's not like the public school is doing you a favor. And when the teachers get tenure and they can stay, whether they pass your kids or not, you're the one that's suffering and your kids are going to suffer. So <clears throat> at any rate, that was the one thing Warner did. He fought for that. Other than that, he was in Rhino like the rest of them. So they got rid of Boyner and they put Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, yeah, he's going to do it. He didn't do it. He was a rhino by another color. He was just another one playing the role again. So, you know, we've been through this thing. We've been through this several times. And it's no good. And people got fed up with it. You know, we got this debt that's continuously growing crazy uh, that nobody can see how it's going to ever come down. We got these people that, that don't care how much money is spent. And we got a, 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 a Democrat Party that, in my mind, is just insane, and a Republican Party that, in many cases, is afraid. So when they let McCarthy become Speaker... They had, a, they had a short lease on him. And instead of him doing the things that he said he was going to do, he tried to walk that tightrope. He tried to pacify the conservative wing of the Republican Party while adhering to the basic stuff the Democrats want. And it didn't work. 
So they got rid of him. And then we went through this torturous, what, two or three week process of finding somebody else. You know, Scalise, Jordan. I like Jordan, uh, but for some reason, folks didn't want him. And they was, tried to get this one guy who I'm glad they didn't get. But then Mike Johnson stepped up to the plate. And Mike Johnson is an unapologetic disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, will he govern that way? And people are getting mad at him because he is an unapologetic disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, let me explain something to you. <clears throat> and this is to everybody. Either your theology is going to govern your politics or your politics is going to govern your theology. There's no two ways about it. This idea of separation of church and state is nonsense. One is going to be superior over the other in the mind of whoever it is. This idea, well, you know what? I don't believe in uh, killing babies in the womb. Uh, uh, that's against my personal belief. But who am I uh, uh, to dictate that or to say that to other people? That's a bunch of crap. That's a person trying to have it both ways. You either stand up to your principles or you don't. And from what I can see so far, it seems like Mr. Johnson wants to stand up for his principles. And I hope he does. So let's see. In the left-wing media lexicon, Christian nationalism doesn't refer to the handful of people who would like to repeal the First Amendment. It refers to people, usually evangelical Christians like Johnson, who think bad secular court decisions have drastically curtailed the framers' vision of free exercise of religion over uh, the last several decades. But you wouldn't know that from the hysterical leftist headlines. <clears throat> now, let me say this too. I do not like the term evangelical Christian. I don't, I don't, I don't like any adjective placed above Christian or any modifier, you know. Now, I understand the, 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 the reference of evangelical. If, if I have to line myself up with any branch or idea of Christianity, it would have to be evangelical. But when you say the word evangelical Christian, when you say the word gay Christian, when you say the word conservative Christian, when you say the word liberal Christian, when you say any of this stuff with the word Christian, you have already diluted the word Christian. And unfortunately, in our world, that's what we, we've diluted words to the point where we have to modify the word in order for people to know what the heck we're talking about. We shouldn't have to. The word Christian is talking about a disciple of Jesus Christ as stated in Matthew chapter 28. Somebody is trying to take the narrow, the narrow path as stated in Matthew 7. Somebody that's trying to keep the, the commandments of God, let's say it in John 14. The word Christian means a person that is a servant, a slave, a representative of Jesus Christ. 
that they're dead in Christ and they're alive in him. That's what the word Christian is supposed to mean. We, we, I hate the fact, and I, and I have to do it too, have to modify the word Christian so people can know where I stand. There's no such thing as a gay Christian. There are people that call themselves that, but it doesn't exist. So, you know, I'm just letting you know where I stand in that respect. Media fear mongering. Mike Johnson's ties to Christian nationalism revealed uh, reads a breathlessness headline in Newsweek. Reporter Ewan Palmer writes that Johnson's previous comments seem to echo those of a supporter of Christian nationalism. That supposed Christian nationalist. Uh, supporter is re uh, Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who said back in 2022 that Christian nationalism is a good thing. The left wants you to read Christian nationalism and hear white supremacists, white evangelical supremacists, because they want to destroy that word too. That's what they want you to. That's they, they want that word uh, Christian national to, to come into your mind and be something other than what it is, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is incredibly standard in terms of being a right wing, white, evangelical Christian nationalist, white supremacist. Historian Christine Cobes de Mez told Politico, while admitting Johnson doesn't describe himself as a Christian nationalist, Dumez has no problem applying the term to him. Of course not. You know, it's just like these people that want to sit over there and slam Jews for being Jews, but they don't want to say that they're anti-Semitic. It's simply descriptive, she explained, as he oh, as he understands it. This country was founded as a Christian nation. Now, we can get into that, but we won't today. But uh, let's continue. For instance, in his Wednesday speech, Johnson said that America's creed we hold is we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal uh, for the dismiss that's supposed to be shocking as though those words are from the new testament rather than the declaration of independence and see that's a problem with the educational system or well, one of them we do not teach civics anymore and i would dare to say most kids do not even know about the declaration of independence we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed. Um, I can't even say the word. Their creator with unalienable rights. Here it is. We hold these truths to be self-evident. This is the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Notice that it said life, liberty, and a pursuit. It didn't guarantee you happiness, but they were endowed by your creator, not by the government. The framers 
recognize that there are God-given rights, the framers of this nation. But the leftists want you to think, that's horrible, you saying something like that. They don't want you to think that there is anything stronger, more significant, more powerful, or more meaningful than the government. Okay. Huffington Post reporter Jennifer Mendre was quick to use the trope as well. Before coming to Congress, Mendre tweeted on Tuesday, Thursday, he spent eight years as the senior attorney and national spokesperson for a Christian nationalist group dedicated to dismantling LGBTQ plus rights and outlawing abortion. This is Mike Johnson, the new speaker. Wow. So we're supposed to be shocked that a Bible-believing Christian is against the LGBTQ agenda and killing babies in the womb. When God said that he created man and woman in his own image, when in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he said, let, let us create man in our image. He made them male and both female. He did, and, and he said, let a man uh, uh, cleave to his wife and leave his parents. There is no way that we're supposed to be uh, dealing with a situation that is without him. I mean, his guidance. Anyway, so this Mike Johnson, he, see, the, the, the left loves you to have people that say they're Christian, but don't believe it. He demands God that we obey him. I got to close my window. I got a dog giving me static. One second. All right. So. God wants us to obey him. He didn't, he didn't give us this as a suggestion. He gave us this so we would understand what he expects of us. Now, he's not making anybody follow him. He's not making anybody pretend like they're a Christian. But if you're a Christian and you love the Lord, then you want to do what the Lord wants you to do. And if you don't, then you're just a fake. Instead of being a rhino, you're a sino, Christian in name only. Okay, let's see. Benadry is referring to Alliance Def uh, Defense Freedom, a Christian public interest law firm uh, committed to religious freedom, the sanctity of life, and parental rights. Well, wow. Okay. Johnson previously worked for the ADF as an attorney and spokesman before joining Congress in 2016. MSNBC columnist Sarah Posner noting Johnson's work at ADF asserted that Johnson is the most unabashedly Christian nationalist speaker in history. According to Posner, ADF wants to eviscerate the separation of church and state. I did videos on this before. There's no such clause in the Constitution about a separation of church and state. But since we don't teach civics 
And most of the populace is ignorant to the fact they'll run along with the left's lies and then they'll try to make something that isn't there. In truth, ADF supports religious freedom for all Americans, not just for Christians. And I too, too. You can believe anything you want. I don't care what you believe. I believe that this will stand up to anything. So I'm not afraid of you being a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Zoroastrian, a pagan. I don't care. I mean, I would rather you be this, but if we but if we want to negotiate or, or if we want to talk about the theological aspects of worldviews, I'd gladly do it with anybody. Okay, let's see. But you wouldn't know that if you just read the critics who hope to consign Johnson's mainstream conservative views to the fringe. What's more, according to Bendry, this isn't old news. Johnson's Christian nationalist ideology, see, that Christian nationalist, Christian nationalist, they want you to think white supremacist, white supremacist. Like, black folks shouldn't believe the Bible, totally. You know, we speak on black folks that say we love the Bible, but then we vote Democrat about everything that's antithetical to the word of God. I don't believe in doing that. What's more according to Benjamin, this isn't old news. Johnson's Christian nationalist ideology, she insists, hasn't abated since he entered Congress. This past April, he gave a speech decrying the so-called separation of church and state, insisting there was nothing in the Constitution barring the government from supporting religious beliefs, writes Benjamin. That's true. Left-wing Christian nationalism boogeyman, mostly and attacked on Christians and politics. Let's see here. Can uh, I go too far? Hold on a second here. Whoa, I don't see all my pages. Let me back up here. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Okay. The same day the House elected Johnson Speaker, a Democrat representative, Maxwell Frost, and Joint Baptist Committee Executive Amanda Tyler testified on the threat of Christian nationalism. Tyler warned House members that Christian nationalism is the single greatest threat to religious liberty in the United States today. I didn't know I was so dangerous. She claimed uh, this threat is a political ideology and cultural framework that seeks to fuse American and Christian identities. Representative Frost emphasized that Christian nationalism is a form of religious extremism making its way into our policies and undermining our democracy. I guess we should be for killing babies in the womb for uh, men and women uh, marrying men and women, uh, men marrying men and women, women marrying women, we should be for them mutilating little kids, uh, giving double mastectomies to 13-year-old girls and castrating little boys and filling up with cross-sex hormones. This is what people like this expect people like me, that this is what we should be caring for. But, but we're extreme. They're not extreme. 
we're the ones that are extreme. And uh, Speaker Johnson, look past the heated rhetoric, however, and it becomes clear that this denunciation from the left, Christian or otherwise, is really an effort to keep conservative Christians. See, there's another modifier, but that's where we're stuck with because we let our language get diluted um, from applying their faith to their politics. Hence, the panic when Johnson gathered in prayer just after the House elected him speaker. I believe that scripture, the Bible, is very clear, he said, that God is the one who raises up those in authority, adding, he raised up each of you, all of us. Yeah, he, he gathered a few people, and they came down there in the well and prayed. Now, McCarthy would have never did that. I don't know if Jordan would have did that or not. But there's a whole lot of folks that would have never did that. But I think that's the right thing to do. To ask God to bless our efforts. To ask God to take care of our nation. To ask God <clears throat> to endow our leaders with strength and his spirit. You know, it, it, look, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I dare say Speaker Johnson isn't either. And no Christian should be. We shouldn't be walking on eggshells. We shouldn't be pretending like, oh, well, you know, I'll keep my faith silent to myself. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We're supposed to go boldly through the throne of grace. And if we, and if we can go boldly through the throne of grace, then we can go boldly out there in the public sector and let them know where we stand. Johnson's channeling uh, the American founders. Whatever uh, the tiny threat to the First Amendment from a few folks on the right is not coming from the new House Speaker. He simply opposes the secular left spin on the First Amendment. He's also right to do so. First, contrary to secular claims, the First Amendment was grounded in the theological premise famously articulated by George Mason that discharging the duty we owe to our creator requires a context of freedom. Second, the framers weren't neutral on the value of religion for society. In his April speech, Johnson argued that a free society and a healthy, healthy republic depend upon religious and moral virtue. This isn't a sectarian belief but a view the framers widely agreed upon. Johnson pointed to George Washington and John Adams. George Washington said in his farewell address, religion and morality are indispensable supports of the political posterity, prosperity. Adams similarly said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. You know what John Adams said is so true. When his constitution was framed back then, the country was predominantly moral and religious. And the fact that there were mostly God-fearing people, and there were God-fearing people with different denominations in different states. But the fact that they were God-fearing people was the glue that would hold this constitution together. And the framers understood that. 
And if we lose that fear of God, this constitution cannot stand. Okay. Let's finish this up. The framers, Johnson noted, believed in liberty that is legitimately constrained by common sense and morality and a healthy fear of the creator who granted all men our rights. Wow. We go around teaching folks now, uh, kids that in schools that we were evolved, this Darwinian mindset that we all came from nothing, that nothing created something and something eventually turned into everything. That we have no uh, moral compass. There's, there's no ultimate accountability because there's no God. And we basically are just an accident of nature. And if we're an accident of nature, why should people be surprised when some of these accidents just decide to kill off a bunch of folks? Because after all, either that feels good to them or what difference does it make? You know, you've convinced them that they have no moral accountability, that there, there is no divine creator that they are ultimately accountable to. Those of us that understand that there is a creator understand that we were made in God's image and that in his image, we must remember and look at our brother man as the same. And we know that after this life, there is an eternal destiny all of us will be a part of. The only problem is, <laughs> will we be with him or will we be in the other place? And there's no, there's no do-overs, folks. It's a one-shot deal. But the, the, the founders and the, the people at the time of the framing of this Constitution understood that quite well. So the best thing for us is to try to get that morality back. Okay. Only some ignorant of or hostile to the American founding, founding could think these arguments are a threat to rather than a defense of the constitutional order. The left evidently doesn't like Johnson, but rather than challenging his views directly, they try to smear him. Conservatives should not fall for this trick. Instead, we should receive it as the treat it is. Left-wing pundits are panicked about the new constitutionally grounded Speaker of the House. That much, that's much better than circus peanuts and candy corn. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one to make fun of folks unnecessarily. Sorry about that. But I'm more concerned about our nation reviving itself back to a God worldview. Now, I don't believe, and I know you can't force people to believe in God. But I think that on an equal playing field, if, if, if our news media wasn't so corrupt and our schools weren't, already taken over by the left, I believe 
that if you presented the position of a godly worldview with a secular worldview and you let people uh, look at that for what it is, I think the godly worldview will stand out every time. I think if you put that out in the schools, the kids will turn to the godly worldview. But of course, they don't want that in the school. There was a gentleman in Washington State that used to pray after football games, and they uh, they fired him. He went all the way to Supreme Court and got his job back because he wasn't bothering anybody. He didn't make kids come pray with him, but they wanted to pray with him. There's a guy in Colorado that will bake cakes, bake cakes for anybody, whether you white, black, polka dot, gay, straight, but he wasn't going to bake any gay cakes. I mean, cakes that were promoting anything that was antithetical to a biblical worldview. So they sued him. He won the Supreme Court. So then they came back with another thing and they sued him again. You, 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 we got this secular mindset that can't stand anything that is for God. Now we have an opportunity with a speaker who is a man who says that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that he will be strong, biblically guided in his work in government. And I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, don't think for a moment that these women on the squad, these Muslims, aren't guided in what they're trying to do based on their theology. They'll sit over here and tell you stuff that they're not, but they are. Anyone that truly believes in the word of God, you cannot separate what you believe biblically from what you have to do in your life. That is a lie that they put out there. They want people to believe. They want folks to believe that you can do both. That's why when I finally made up my mind that I was going to quit running for my responsibility to God and surrender to him. I also understood that I had to deal with life from a political perspective as far as voting. And I found that I could not continue to vote for the Democrat Party because their policies way back in the 80s were antithetical to a biblical worldview. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. I mean, how can I support God and support homosexuality at the same time. How can I support God and support adultery and, and, and drug abuse and all this? And now we're to the point where they want us to support child mutilation, where they want to, to support uh, not even having children get educated, but sit in schools and just be there until they're 18 and then become wards of society. You know, in California, you don't have to pass the exit exam. They, for the next two years in Oregon, oh, well, you know, you just get out of there. And who knows what's going on in many of these other states. We got states now where people can just sit over there and get drugs anytime they want to and, you know, kill themselves. Vending machines in New York City for crack pipes. And this is besides the ones that Joe was putting out some time ago that the news media never talk about. 
I can't support these kind of things. So I'm glad we have a speaker that has a biblical worldview. And I pray that the speaker will stand on those biblical worldviews and use the power that God gave him to try to help lead this country in the right direction. I think that makes a heck of a lot more sense than trying to reduce parking tickets for black and brown people in the city of Chicago. This is Sam Tolley, and I'm out.